0: Let's pray as we proceed. Holy Spirit, we ask you again for a fresh encounter with your presence and with your voice. We pray that you speak to each and every one of us that which you would have us hear and shape us in the ways that you would have us grow, that more and more we may reflect. Lord Jesus Christ empower us as we seek to follow him we pray amen a couple weeks back uh, I mentioned to you um, how much people in in the this country spend on weddings the average cost of weddings Um, but it's and while it's certainly a day worth celebrating Um, You know, Kristen and I were very intentional about our reception and the details we wanted so that people have a good time. Uh, There is something that that, um, we would remind our friends of from time to time. Uh, After we got married, sometimes we would, uh, you know, we'd have a friend who was in the middle of planning a wedding, and if uh, if in those conversations, as they were sharing with us, Especially if they were like stressing out over a detail or a dilemma, trying to figure out oh, should I go with this or with that, Kristen would remind them, and she uh, of well an important detail. She would tell them, just remember this is one day, one day, in your life together, and and. While it's very much worth celebrating, the point she was making was, don't go cleaning out your savings just to get the fancy dishes that no one's going to remember. It's one day. Yes, celebrate. Yes, have fun. But, and there will be joy on that day, as there should be. But the joy that will continue is the joy from the relationship. And that is what's important. And that's the joy that's going to last throughout. Your life together. That's what she was trying to communicate. We've been looking at joy these last few weeks, and looking specifically at the joy that comes from God. And in today's passage, Jesus tells us where to put our focus if we want to have joy that lasts. A few months ago, we looked at Jesus sending out the twelve to demonstrate the kingdom of God. In Matthew's Gospel, and here in Luke's Gospel, we see that he did the same thing with the larger group of disciples, the 72. And as he was on his way to Jerusalem, he sent them into the towns that he was uh, getting ready to go into, telling them to, you know, pronounce peace upon whatever house welcomed them, to heal the sick, and proclaim the kingdom of God. And with that warning of the judgment that can come in rejecting God's kingdom, And our passage shows them on their their returning from this mission in which they have this childlike joy. And we see joy in them. We see joy in Jesus. And that joy very much informs our joy and shows us where our focus needs to be if we want to have God's joy continually in our lives. When the 72 come back, they marvel at what they've seen. They marvel that even the demons submit to them in Jesus' name. Now, up to this point, people have been marveling at Jesus, just casting out demons with a word. And now he's doing it through his followers, which is very much something worth celebrating. And Jesus affirms the significance of what they've seen, telling them he, he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And there's some discussion as to whether Jesus is referring to something past or something concurrent or something future, but whatever the case, what they have seen very much shows and foreshadows the impending doom of evil, the impending destruction of evil that will occur once, that will happen once for all when Jesus returns. It will happen completely when he returns, and that's an even bigger deal. And more so, he has given them authority over evil, Protecting them, giving them power to overcome the enemy. But then he says, as important as that was wonderful, as all of this is, he says, However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Here's a silly question. Why? What's so great about heaven? Well, a lot of things, but I hope that among your answers, and I hope your first answer is God. God is what's great about heaven. Being with God, and God is our joy. Heaven is being in the Lord's presence perfectly. Heaven is the realm of God, where God's presence is perfectly, and the work of the kingdom of God Is that realm breaking into ours, breaking into our world. But it all points to God. Heaven may be a lot of wonderful things, but before anything else that we might imagine it being, it is being with God. Revelation paints a picture of the fullness of God's kingdom being united with earth. This is what God is working toward. Bringing the realm of heaven and uniting it with earth perfectly where 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 we see the Heavenly Father and Jesus ruling and evil completely defeated and only God's goodness being known. Casting out demons is great. Miracles are great. Healing is great. But it all points to the greatest thing of all, which is the Lord and being with him. The continual source of our joy is God. Everything else we enjoy is just a shadow of the one from whom all good things come. You know, at a wedding, couples exchange rings. Those rings might be quite pricey sometimes and quite beautiful, but no couple thinks that those rings are the point. It's what the rings represent. It's what they point to. And friends give gifts, maybe to mark each other's birthdays or whatever. No one thinks that that's the point. It's what that gift reminds them of. It's who that gift came from. That's what the gift points to. We can have joy, as we've been talking about. We can have joy in God's gifts. And we can and should enjoy God's gifts. We can have joy in God's work. But we must always remember what these things point to. They point to our ultimate joy, which is God's self, and the Psalms speak of this wonderfully and beautifully. uh, Psalm thirty-seven, four says, "Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." That is an amazing statement, but it's true. When you set, when our hearts are set on the Lord, what is better? What is greater? Our hearts will know contentment. Our hearts will know fulfillment when we set them on the Lord, which is why elsewhere the psalmist can say in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You could also translate that, I lack nothing. I don't need anything else. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There is joy in God's presence. He is the source of it. And blessings continually come from him, but he himself is the ultimate joy. And when God is our joy, then we can properly take joy in the blessings that come from him, including his work. We find joy in God and God's work in that order. Because the work comes from Him. It points to Him. They very much go together, but the work exists because of who God is. The work of of God exists because God is wanting to make this world more the way He wants it to be, which is very, very good news. But we can hinder our joy... If our focus is misplaced, if we have an unhealthy focus, well, on anything but even the work of God, we can hinder our joy. There are lots of things worth celebrating. There's lots of things all the more so worth celebrating in the work of God, in ministry, the work of the church. We celebrate when we see people come to faith. We celebrate when we see prayers answered. We celebrate when we see miracles happen. We celebrate when God moves through us. We celebrate when God th- provides through generous giving or, or, or when God grows our, 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 our church communities. We celebrate these things, but none of them are the point as good as those things are. And so if we have an unhealthy focus on these things, we can either lose our motivation, because what is the point? The reason we do any of these things, the reason we seek any of these things is because of who God is. Or on the other hand, we can have an unhealthy focus in the sense of trying to use these things to elevate ourselves, similar to what we, what we talked about with rituals and practices last week. But Jesus cautions them. Consider, Jesus cautions them about putting an unhealthy focus, in their case, on exorcism, on casting out evil, on bringing of, 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 of freedom being brought to someone under demonic oppression. Which shows us that even miracles, as wonderful and as good as they are, they can be. An unhe- we can have an unhealthy focus on them. And again, please don't get me wrong. Miracles are good. Pray for miracles. Our God does miracles, amen? But they are not the point. When you see one, when you see God move powerfully, celebrate by all means and praise God for it. But remember where it comes from. That's the message of the 72. When Jesus Jesus tells them, heal the sick. And when when it happens, tell them, the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's what's happening. They're encountering the work of God. And the kingdom points to the king. But when we keep our eyes on him, when he is our focus, we delight in the work because he is in it. And the Lord delights that we are doing the work with him. That's why we see Jesus celebrating here. It says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus has joy. That they are doing his work. When our joy is the Lord, his work is a delight, and he delights in us doing it with him. It's why Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That is fuel for the work. But for that to be fuel, God has to be the ultimate joy. And Jesus shows us the heart of God. You know, he talks about no one knows the father except the son. He, he shows us the heart of God. And God very much delights in us working alongside him. Like a parent with their child. And that's why there's another caution in Jesus' words, actually. He says, God has hid these things from the, the wise and the learned. We mentioned last week, it's usually the religious crowd that is critical of Jesus. And the people that are most critical, the the most prominent critics, are the ones who knew the scriptures really well. Now, again, don't get me wrong. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Know your Bible. Those are, that's, that is a good, good thing. But the Bible is not God. The Bible points to God. The Bible teaches us about God. And so we cannot even elevate our interpretations above who God is. That's where the criticism was coming from, from the religious crowd. Jesus' prayer should be a warning to those who know their Bible really well, or those who may find themselves in categories that the world may consider wise. Jesus' prayer is a warning for those who have, may have gone through higher education or received advanced degrees. All the more so those may, who maybe have received theological instruction. But, but understand, Jesus' prayer reminds us that God reveals his secrets. God reveals himself. He works through and shows himself to, not those who have climbed the social, educational, financial, or or even religious ladders that our world creates. He reveals himself to children. Jesus says, little children. I would say this is both figurative and literal. That's why when the children come to Jesus says, let the children come to me. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Because children are humble. They are dependent. They know they need some, someone else. They know they need someone bigger to get something off the shelf. They know they don't have all the answers. That's why they're always asking questions. And they ask really good questions. If you want to learn about God, ask one of our, our children, what would you like to learn about God? and I give you 30 seconds before they stump you. But if we find ourselves in categories that people may consider wise, or if we consider ourselves wise, we very much need to be mindful of humbling ourselves before God-like children and recognizing that, recognizing that we are dependent on God, recognizing that God is the reason that we do any of His work. And making Him the ultimate joy, it fosters that. It fosters that dependence. It fosters that humility. And that's why Paul says, again, we looked at this verse before. It's worth looking at again. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the point. He is our joy, and knowing Him is of surpassing worth. If something is not Him, and is getting in the way, it is not worth it. His death and his resurrection allow us to know the joy that, in, that we get to be with him. We get to be with God. We get to live life with God now, and we have the hope of living life with God into the life, of com- into the life to come for all eternity. When he says, do not rejoice that the Spirit submits you, he's telling him, even he celebrates what's happening. He's telling him that's not where the ultimate joy is. So do not find your ultimate joy in that the demons submit to you. Or that you see people healed, or that you see miraculous provision, or how big God grows our churches, or how many service projects you're a part of, or how generously people give, or what have you. All of those things are good. Praise God for them. But rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Make sure your ultimate joy is the Lord and nothing less. Because knowing him and being with him, that is of ultimate importance. And it is our ultimate joy. Let's continue worshiping him.